Hello, Horror Fanatics! I'm Frank. And I'm Jen. And we welcome you to our weekly podcast, Oh, oh the, the Horror! Horror! Thank you for joining us as we dive deep into all things horror, supernatural, scary, and downright creepy. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe to add us to your regular rotation of podcasts. You can also submit any ideas, comments, and suggestions to oth at seriouslydecent.com. And you can check out everything and anything about the podcast, social media links, and connection to our email at ohthehorrorpodcast.com. How's it going, so, Jen? Um, I can't complain. I mean, I can, yeah. but nobody listens. Yeah. So, I mean, not bad. What'd you say again? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we're in that uh, for for the those that are listening that aren't from new york and not new york city um upstate new york central, central new york western yeah. that area we are now in what we call the march period we call this the bipolar month you never yeah. know what you're gonna get and you really don't know what no. you're gonna get because let's say yesterday we were at the dog park it was full-on Arctic blast. Yeah. Wind blowing. Yes. Your face is numb. Yes. Today. Why do I live where I can't feel my face? <laughs> and yeah. today, sun is out. Yeah. And what is it? Like, it's only 27, but it's got a feels like it's a got a 40. feels like a 40. Yeah. <laughs> now and this, I think it's because it was freaking Arctic blast yesterday where yeah. you couldn't feel your face, your body. And three days from now, it's going to be 45. Something like that, right? 50s. Or 50s. In 60s yeah. by uh, yeah. Thursday. So so those that aren't from the area, it, the weather will change at any point. You feel the spring fever. Some days you get all four seasons in one day. Yeah, those are those are gem moments. And then, yeah. and then this is the bad part for me, I can personally speak. This is when I start hitting golf balls indoors. Mm-hmm. And I get Wanting the itch. Wanting to hit golf balls outdoors. And I get the itch. That's why we should live in a place where yeah. it hurts our face is no longer part of our vocabulary. That'd, that'd be a good motto for a state that's warm. Yeah. Welcome to warm state. Yep. You we, can feel your face. You can feel your face. <laughs> that's, well, what was bad the last couple of weeks is I hit, I go to the, the casino to hit, the, the casino has this indoor dome mm-hmm. where I can hit golf balls. And my buddy and I would go there on a Monday and then every Tuesday for like two, three weeks straight, it would snow on Tuesday. Yeah. Hey, thanks for that. And there's nothing more defeating than that. No. And then just say, boy, you know what? You know what would be better than this? Hitting them outside. Yep. Sun shining. Nah, man, that's not going to happen for a while. And then the next day you got to start the fucking snowblower up. Yeah. And move snow around. Yeah. But Welcome to your life. Everybody in this area does know this. March it gives you the optimism. And it's nice. It's healthy. I like it. It, it, it does. There's a reason I like the four seasons here. Because it gives you four opportunities to change. And I think that is a powerful thing. Yeah. If you're in the weather and it's the same temperature, say yeah. 70 or 65 degrees all day, sunny, mm-hmm. it's perfect. Where you can always feel your face. It's Groundhog's Day. Yeah. It's the same day over and over again. Yeah. So if you get in a slump, I think it would be harder to pull out of that because there's nothing really kind of around you that just says, hey, you got to change. 
True. Where like here. You the get- reverse of that, though, is if you're in a slump and it's all doom and gloom outside. Yeah. Oh, no. That's not really going to be motivation to change either. Winter's a tough go here. February's a tough month. Yeah. And I laugh how Valentine's Day is on that because everybody's I just like. I think that's. It's, That's the attempt. Yeah, you think to make things okay for for us. Oh my Mormoners. god, guys, let's focus on love. Don't you just love love? Isn't love the best? Meanwhile, I mean, it's great. Meanwhile, you got everybody in the monochromatic weather that's just like, shut the hell up. Yeah. 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 Oh, for many years, I would refer to Valentine's Day as black and whatever day of the week it fell on, mm-hmm. and I would wear black makeup. I would go full goth yeah. that day. Yeah. Just to be like, that's what I think of you and your love and your stupid freaking day. Yeah. Because here's the thing. If you're in a truly loving, committed relationship, mm. why do you need one randomly chosen stinking day? Maybe because that's the one day that holds it all together. But then I submit yeah. Yeah. you've got some bigger issues there. No, I know. I know. Perhaps couples counseling. Are you saying that's what we should do? When have we ever celebrated Valentine's Day? Every day. That's true. That's very true. <laughs> we do. No, it's not. <laughs> I like when I buy you flowers because when I buy you flowers, I'm just buying you flowers because it's a day that like ends in Y. And I'm just and, like, you know what? Most of the time it's because they're pretty. And you're like, hey, yeah. I'm like, these are pretty flowers. nice on the table. Jen would probably like these on the yeah. table. Or, you know, I'll surprise Jen with a little pick me up. Yep. Now, there's always, when I go in there, not always, but it's common, you have that guy in there that's buying flowers for a completely different reason. Usually, you got, you guys buy those flowers when, when you're in trouble. When you fu- no, Not when you're in trouble. It's when you're in trouble and you got caught. See, yeah. that's the thing. <laughs> like, you know, if you didn't get caught. You wouldn't need the flowers. Yeah, they don't have that guilty conscience yet of, My you cousin know, said it's not illegal till you get caught. Mm-hmm. It's not illegal until you buy flowers. But I like jewelry. Yeah. But I always look but at if you're doing the flowers and the jewelry, dude, yeah. you did something really bad. You forgot yeah. something really important, like a birthday. And that's where guys need to just say, yeah, and guys <laughs> just need to say, you know what? Look, I'm trying, you know, because like yeah. if you fucked up, I'd be like, look, I want to I want a new set of irons. Mm-hmm. And you'd be like, I can't. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to get you irons. And then it's end of story and it's over. Or I'd just be like, so go buy yourself a pair of irons. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But that's a different thing with you and I. And we can't get to that in the podcast. No. We don't have separate checkbooks. No. We don't have separate accounts. No. We're that couple that everybody pretty much fucking can't stand. Yeah. And I get that. I mean, yeah. there's a lot to hate here. We probably just lost half of our listenership. <laughs> Right here in this conversation. Probably. So in our grave attempts to win you back, we are getting into the blood countess herself. We are. The countess of blood. Yes. Miss Elizabeth Batare. I I actually did check out the Hungarian pronunciation. I'm going Bathory. All right. That's uh, That's fine. She's dead. She can't come back. Her actual given name is Erzabete. Yeah. Batore uh, de Etched. And Etched is um, where she grew up. And she's a Hungarian noblewoman whose family owned land in the kingdom of Hungary. Mm-hmm. Ha-ha. 
And she's been labeled by Guinness World Records as the most prolific female murderer. However, there's great debate over the exact number of her victims. Yeah, this was a... But this is like the juiciest of the juicy topics that we have... This, yeah. That we have... I don't... I was going to say dove into, but... Mm -hmm. It's no. a good it's a good one. This one's a good one. I like uh I like this because it's it's not even about male or female or anything. No. This, this is, is about a great story about madness. Yes. And unchecked power. Yes. This is the classic case of it. Yes. And not just classic case. This one's on steroids. This one Yeah. This one's out of box. This one <laughs> you know, it's and it just um the span of the crimes was yep. 1590 to 1610. Yep. Which was 20 years. Yeah. That's a spree. That is a long spree. And to spree. put the cart before the horse, mm -hmm. they're say they're estimating her victim toll at somewhere between 600 and 650. Yeah. Yeah. Could be more, could be less. We'll we'll get into that later yeah. on in the tour, but but, yeah, she's uh, known as the Blood Countess and the Countess Dracula. Yes. Because this basically in the timeline compared to our l last week's podcast. Right, yes. Which was uh, Vlad the Impaler. Where Vlad they twisted was, their ankles, jumping to the conclusion that yeah. he yeah. is well, a vampire. And that's where I was saying in the podcast yeah. that basically this was the whole vampire area. Era, it's the beginning of the vampire lore. It's, it's, yeah. it's really picking up steam. But this era was 100 years before Vlad the Impaler. After. Or after. After Yeah, Vlad. yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's after. And I think she just got the Countess Dracula name because you've got Vlad, who She's was very prolific. She's all about that blood. About yeah. that blood. Well, no, not just the blood, but just the whole, all the topics we're going to get into. Yeah, so. yeah. So when was she born? She was born, again, they're not sure. It's either 1560 or 1561. In Hungary, and she spent her childhood at the Etched Castle, and her birth was announced by lightning, and this was taken as a sign that could not be ignored, especially in retrospect to who she would become. The ensuing storm destroyed the, the crops for the year, and I mean, talk about a sign. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she came in, or, she came in with, a, with a bang. Yeah. Or just bad timing. I, yeah. They say timing's everything. Yeah. Her timing was not impeccable. The day after would have been... A know, lot better. Just, yeah. Yeah. But, like, the exact moment that the storm starts, yeah. they're like, hmm, a lot of bad things are going on. Well, no, what because happened? here's what's interesting with that. They say if you have a big rainstorm, thunder, and lightning when you're getting married, they say that's good luck. They can say whatever they yeah. want. I honestly. think they just say that because it's bullshit weather, and they're just trying trying to, to make you feel better. Yeah. Oh, sweetheart, this is this, this just is good means, luck. This just means yeah. you guys are going to be together forever. Let's this wipe is really good. Let's luck. wipe half that makeup off your face with your tears because your day's <laughs> going to shit, and it's good luck. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. It's none of that. It's it's good luck. Exactly. Good luck. No, so, this is quite a family that she's born into. I, yeah, I mean, it should be noted they were probably one of the most powerful families in Hungary at the time. Well, and this is the Kingdom of Hungary, which currently is now 
Hungary, Slovakia, and Romania. Correct. So yeah. it's that whole entire territory. Yeah. Through there. And this is a family we that have included that reference map yeah. on our Facebook group to kind of show on the map mm-hmm. in relation to things where And this is a family that included kings, cardinals, yep. knights, yep. judges. Yep. It's, it's they all got over. it all. Yeah. And they got a vampire. I mean, sometimes door number three isn't the door you should choose. Yeah, sometimes you choose the wrong curtain. Yeah. Like, hey, show me what I've won. And it's not a wizard. No. 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 It's bloodbath. (laughs) Doom and gloom is behind the curtain. So her father was George Batare, and he was the brother of Andrew Bonaventura. Batare, and he was the former voivode of Transylvania. Her mother was Anna Batare, and she was alive from 1539 to 1570. And she was the daughter of Stephen Batare of Shomyo, another voivode of Transylvania. On her mother's side, Elizabeth was the cousin of Stephen Batare, who would later become the king of Poland and duke of Transylvania. They say she... I mean, to say that she was connected is is really, truly an understatement. Mm-hmm. She was one of four children. Um, Istvan, who went mad at an early age. Little uh, foreshadowing. Yeah. Uh, Clara Sophia. Um, Zofia. And then Erzabet. Uh Her father died when she was 10. At which point, the family decided to engage young Elizabeth to one of the Nadushti's Farens. So she was engaged to a dude at 10 mm-hmm. and sent to live with his family. Yeah. At 10. And, and before that. Yeah. Her father would bring her and she didn't do it against her wishes or anything. She wanted to partake mm-hmm. into, uh, the acts of her father collecting money and collecting taxes and yeah. more so she wanted to be involved in the punishment. Yes. Like and she did everything with her dad. She went hunting. Yeah. She did. She was all the things. I mean, in close, I mean, we, here's the thing. We really can't compare her to anyone on the planet today. We can't. No. Even like the, the rich yeah. and powerful yeah. today. I mean, they're, they're way more civilized than back then. Correct. And I mean, they do a lot of things that are fucked up. Yes, well, they do. We're not defending that. But right. But the fact is, is like these are people that would go and collect taxes and collect money. Yes. And if you didn't have the money, they drag you out yep. into the street and they torture you. Yes. And it was to send a message to everyone else that you need to pay your taxes. This yes. is what happens if you don't pay your taxes. Yes. Yep. And she would get involved in that on a very intimate level. She would actually help out and assist with the torturing with her father. Right. She, it's, there's evidence to suggest that she really, truly enjoyed those, those times of punishment that she experienced. She would watch servants being scolded, uh, peasants being beaten, and she especially enjoyed when an animal would be sacrificed for dinner or killed, or mm-hmm. cut into pieces. They they very often sent her away, but she always insisted on returning to be there 
And she was also rumored to be mean to her relatives when she was playing with them. Like she would hand them a thorny branch. And when they pricked themselves, she would delight in seeing the wound. Mm -hmm. And she also loved to torment the female servants that were there to, you know, and this goes back to what we were talking with Vladimir Taylor. This was a warlord era. Yeah. Where you took things by force. Yep. There wasn't really kind no. of uh, diplomatic relations going on. Yeah, no. You know, it was a, a free-for-all. And, Essentially, yeah. And you have this young girl mm-hmm. who is around all of this on Very, intimate levels. Yes. And also has some psychological issues compounded with that. Definitely, yeah. And... Like, it was known that her particular family madness ran in their genes. And there was, you know, it's known that there was a lot of inbreeding. Inbreeding, yeah. And there was just a lot of other correlating factors that are contributing Mm -hmm. to the molding of this person and not just one specific thing, you know. No, there's... You know, there's... All of the planets came into alignment for this. No, there's, you know... And in in a really bad way. Yeah, yep. Yep. And... um, She's 10... Yeah. Getting lined up for marriage. Yep. (laughs) Sent to live with her betrothed family. And her upbringing was controlled not only by her family history, but also that of her husband. And the Nadushtis were classic Hungarian in features, um, but they had barbaric traits from the sides of the Carolingians and the Bathory family despite laid a certain paganism and their their blood was intermingled with the blood of the Dacian Moldavian boyars and the savage Turks who taught all sorts of atrocities. So for centuries, the Batares married within the family in order to have the family traits maintained, oh, no, if yeah, you will, no, and it's, it's, which that... led to the per- perpetuation of their genetic problems. And the Batares lived in veritable fortresses built high on hills. Like mm-hmm. other nobles had like a castle. Yeah. And that's how they showed their mm-hmm. wealth and their status. These guys had fortresses on high hills spread all over Hungary, Wallachia, and Transylvania. They were a brave people, which was pretty much a pre prerequisite because Batar meant brave in Hungarian. But they had a great deal of issues with sanity. Like, sanity was a really... Well, what you have is a group of people that have detached themselves from the rest of the community. Yeah. That happens all common with anything. Even if you have a small town Mm -hmm. and you have someone who's leading the town. Right. Like a mayor, Mm -hmm. even. Mayor has their own house. It's off to this protected spot. They've got security. They've got all these, you know, and they become this protected entity from the rest of the group. Yeah, they they kind of become and, isolated, and well, their yeah. their their view and their they lose, perspective is skewed. They lose touch with reality. Exactly. Yes. And then, and again, this is a very aggressive time period. This is where you had to be tough to make it. Yeah. This is a I different mean, talk than, about different than now saying, talk you know, about I'm Darwin strong, and, I'm fierce, strong I'm brave. Survive. No. Yeah. This no. is where, yeah, this is where these Darwin theories come to light. Exactly. And, yeah. and people can sneer at Darwin Survival and say whatever fittest. they want. But if mm-hmm. you weren't fit enough, if you didn't have what it took to make it, you died. Yeah. You didn't make it. Yeah. yeah. Like 
didn't make it mean there you were died. No safety it didn't nets. mean you were in a shower exactly. and a ball crying and, yeah. and all no. that. No, this no. is this is a whole different era that none of us can fully understand. No, yeah. no, not at all. And uh, it's been claimed that her mother was just absorbed with her vanity. Her like vanity, she didn't yeah. care about her children. No. She carried on an affair with one of the royal guard. And, and the I family really knew about it. Y- uh, yeah. They were okay well, her it. father was okay with it because, you know, it kept her, it kept his kept wife happy. 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 So that, happy you know, wife, happy life. Yeah. He could just <laughs> deal with their, their finances and, oh, yeah. and the, his duties, if you will. But essentially, I'm getting the impression that her father was really the only one who truly cared about her because there was a story that, Elizabeth almost drowned when Mm -hmm. she was a child and she was saved by a servant and she was very distressed at, you know, having almost died. Mm -hmm. And she went to her mother seeking comfort. Yeah. And her mother was with her lover and, you know, she got none of that from her mother. Yeah. So, I mean, no, that's good times. Yeah. And then her outside circle of influence was tough. Yeah. At, tough uh, at, at uh, best. Problematic. Yeah. 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 She had some uh, extremely odd and weird relatives. Yeah. So now you have someone who's growing up with an incredible education. And yes. An education that someone would never get around there. And this Especially is. Especially women at that time. Like oh, she yeah. was, she was essentially educated like they would educate the men because yeah. let's be honest, the men were supposed to be the providers. They mm-hmm. were supposed to take care of the business and yeah. the women were just supposed to have children care for the household. Mm-hmm. You know, like that was, that was it. That was the extent of their responsibilities, but she was very, very well read. She mm-hmm. knew four languages. She was, and I don't think the time she spent with her, future in-laws, the Ferenz family, I think that also helped uh, give her a, a broader education. No, so, she had a broader bit, and, and she was raised Protestant and Catholic on both sides. Yeah. So she understood she did. both of those uh, lines of, of religious uh, pursuit. Right. Then she also has this dark side that from starts her creeping family. in her life, yeah. from her family. Like, her... Aunt Clara appears to have introduced her to witchcraft, torture, and bisexuality. Clara was a rumored nymphomaniac with countless lovers, that is, until she was caught in the act, at which time she was then forced to watch her lover burned at the stake, while she was raped by the entire garrison, then staked herself. These were all common punishments for the time. Yeah. And Elizabeth was unmoved at hearing the detail of her aunt's quote unquote passing. And she took great delight in hearing not only that story, but any, any story. vicious story. She loved mm-hmm. certain details of Vlad. She loved hearing her husband's uh tales of the Turks that he killed in the Ottoman Wars. Like she kind of got off on hearing about Oh yeah. Yeah. People dying. Yeah. In horrible ways. Yeah. And, and I didn't really get into her uncle. So yeah. if you want to get into him. Well, uh, just basically, he was, uh, he wasn't that, uh, 
that great, great, great person. <laughs> and and basically, um, it, it's just more of the same stuff. I I didn't get into full detail uh, with the uncle, but basically just the torturing the that type of stuff. Yeah, you know, yeah. it just again, she was just surrounded by this environment that wasn't sunshine and rainbows yeah and no not uh it, this is a very brutal yes brutal family yes and even the outside circle mm-hmm. was was equally bad as well. brutal yeah and and she started getting into these different angles with witchcraft and it's suspected because and, of her influence in the different religions at the time but not actually having an affiliation to her religion herself is kind of what opened her up to the mystical, the magical, the witchcraft, the. And let's take a little step back as well. Like when I'm bringing up earlier, like the witchcraft and potions and stuff, the potions back then they had potions for a lot of things. Potions were basically like medicine to some degree, think of medicine yeah. with no regulation whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, essentially, it with was they no regulation. They put plants so you had and potions herbs together and, yeah. and saw what they got. But you had potions for pain. Yes, you had potions for madness. Yes, and this like potions for madness and potions to in this other area. This was the really darker stuff of witchcraft. Yeah, she that, wasn't getting into the so potions for healing. This she is was all about you know having. You know, a mind altering mind altering experiences. Yeah, yeah. And and she took this to the limit. She just couldn't she get did. enough of no. it. She, you know. Yeah. And so this is what she's raised under is all of these different dynamics. Correct. And this ultimately leads to a situation where her husband at the age of 15 is now in you Well, know, we'll get there. So let's Let's get to, during her early years, her education was supervised by Ferenc's mother, Orshoya. And at 11, she was introduced to religious readings and daily chores, including ironing and folding clothes. Elizabeth hated the chores, and she looked forward to the day when she would be married and avoid the guardianship of her future mother-in-law. So re- religious division, as you mentioned, was rampant at the time. Her exposures to these many religions would make her well-read for the time, but the lack of a particular religious affiliation left her open to interest in mystical and magical practices. So Elizabeth married Ferenz when she was 14 or 15 on the 8th of May in 1575. The wedding took place at the Verano Palace in the presence of about 4,500 guests of the aristocracy. And immediately following the wedding, they moved to Nadushti Castle in Sharver, where Elizabeth was left alone while her husband finished his studies in Vienna, then went to war against the Ottomans. So Ferenc gifted Elizabeth Cheta Castle in the accompanying estate on their wedding day. The estate was located in the Little Carpathians near Trenchin, now Trenson, and consisted of the castle, the country house, and the surrounding 17 small villages. The castle was also surrounded by a village and agricultural lands where the castle kitchen would obtain most of the produce. So the castle belonged to Ferenz's mother, who had bought it in 1579 and gave it to Ferenz, who then gifted it to his wife on their wedding day. 
Now, their long engagement was not a happy one. Shocker. She was 10. And at 13, Elizabeth became pregnant, but not by Ferenc, but a male servant of the Sharver Castle named Laszlo Bende. When Ferenc found out what happened to his future wife, he personally saw to the punishment of the young man who had disgraced him. He had Laszlo castrated, then thrown to the wild dogs to be eaten alive. There's no evidence that Elizabeth was at the scene, but it is presumed it left her traumatized. I mean, maybe. I don't know. You know, and that's things and that's we'll why never, I say maybe. That's things I'll never know. But also, you got to look at the mindset of someone that's in that state. She could have done that knowing full well that was what would happen. happen. Yeah. And so she was secretly moved to Nadashti Castle, where she gave birth to a daughter in 1574 named Anastasia Batare. Um, the only records concerning her life stopped at her birth, as Ferenc wanted the matter to remain secret. The lack of records of her life and whereabouts could also indicate that she was killed immediately after her birth. So it's claimed that Elizabeth had no interest in children and expressed as much to Ferenc multiple times. Yeah. However, in order to keep their existing fortune mm-hmm. and to keep their position, yeah. she submitted to having children. So 10 years after the birth of her illegitimate child, her daughter, Anna Nadashti, was born in 1585, who later became the wife of Miklush Zrini the sixth. Anna was followed by Orshoya or Orsika Nadashti, born in 1590, who later married Istvan II Benio. The next daughter was Katalin, Kata, or Katarina um, Nadashti in 1594. And then Elizabeth also gave birth to a few sons. Andros Nadasti, born 1596, but died at seven in 1603. And Paul, also Paul Nadasti, born in 1598, and he died in 1650. Paul would become the father of Ferenc Nadasti II, and historical records mention the existence of another son named Miklush Nadasti, but there's no further reference to him, which led many historians to presume that he was either a son who died early or not a son at all, but a distant cousin. Mm -hmm. The name is not in the Countess's will from 1610. So another possible child who died early is Georg Nadashti, and there's insufficient evidence to determine if he really did die and if he was indeed a, a child of Elizabeth also. So giving birth to her children was the extent of her involvement with her children. And all of them were cared for by governesses, just as she had been. Mm -hmm. So three years after their wedding in 1578, Ferenc was appointed chief commander of the Hungarian troops, and he left for war against the Ottomans. So Elizabeth was left alone to manage the business of the estate. Controlling such a large estate was no easy task. She was in charge of providing food, work, for both the Hungarian and Slovak people living on the estate and also provide medical assistance if necessary. So that's where we should get into. Mm-hmm. She's a child. Yeah. I mean, that's, this is where, you know, you have somebody who's 15. Yeah. And going through childbirth. Yeah. People at 15 are not going through this well, I mean, at 15, at she gets married, and then her husband leaves her. Well, he's like, here's a castle. Bye. Well, I got no, but stuff he's, to do. He's going to war. This is a whole yeah. war-torn area. Yeah. So, like, this is in the book. Like, it's it's just written. 
It's, mm-hmm. it's written before it even happens. This yeah. is what happens when, yeah. you know, and this is where these uh, noble families back then, they did have obligations that they had to make in different areas. Right, yes. And this is where if you have someone who's not qualified to handle yeah. these yeah. responsibilities, this is uh, this is a classic story of what happens the other way. Right. If you're not qualified for it. So you have someone who really basically is qualified to a certain extent to to run rule. Yes. And be uh she had the tools to be assertive. Right. She had the tools to be bold yeah. in certain areas. But she and, knew how to collect and the aggressive. Taxes, she knew how to done it with her father. And she knew the structure yeah. with her father. She mm-hmm. knew what had to be done to keep everything going. Yes. And she tried. <laughs> yeah. So during and, and she did well. She did really she, well. She did. She During did. the Long War of 1593 to 1606, Elizabeth was also in charge of defending and protecting the estate, which lay directly in the invader's path to Vienna. Oh, yeah. So yeah. this was difficult for one woman, especially since the villain of Cheta had already been plundered by the Ottomans once before. Mm-hmm. And the nearby village of Sharver was an even greater challenge due to its border at the time between Royal Hungary which was the Hungary they lived in, and the Ottoman-occupied territories of Hungary. And she kept her stronghold on these locations with her education, being able to read and write and her ability to speak four languages. Mm -hmm. And while protecting the estate from the Ottomans, it's noted that Elizabeth took great care of the population, especially the women living on the estate. She protected destitute women, such as the women whose husband had been captured by the Turks and another whose daughter had been raped and became pregnant, which is surprising considering these are exactly the kinds of women on which she would later pray. Yeah. It's it in her duties during her husband's absence included attending to her children, which was really just discussing them with their tutors, meetings with tutors, managing the staff, consulting with court advisors on matters of the court. She dictated and wrote letters paid bills, stayed updated on documents concerning the evolution of the estate, and essentially she needed to act as a man, which was unheard of at the time. And in her free time, she indulged in horseback riding, going for picnics, hunting, reading. Well, and here's the thing. I mean, I know they say it's unheard of at that time. Uh-huh. For There was a lot of these men. War does this. Yes. War creates these situations. And this wasn't the only guy of high standing that went off to war and the wife or partner would have to take lead on issues of affairs and things like that. Right, yeah. I think what happened is is we just have a lot more documented on this story. We do, than we do of others. So she... And it being a war-torn era, there was a lot of... A lot of this going on. Yeah, there was. Um, and I and I think as well, this is where this this group just didn't have. Sometimes they divide responsibilities up and put it in teams and and yeah. do you know and and some are successful. And again, this isn't just attacking Bathory as a, a woman or anything like that. It's it's basically this is what happens when you don't have the tools. <laughs> yeah. For the job mentally, this is where I get into the whole mental aspect of it. She was doing all this successfully, and she had all this, but her coping mechanisms were terrible. Yeah, they were. So she also enjoyed going to the spa at Pistini, shopping, and going to concerts in Vienna. So Ferenz would die at the age of 48 on January 4th, 1604, of an unknown illness. It had started in 1601 and mainly affected his legs, leaving him unable to walk. 
The disability became permanent in 1603, and Elizabeth cared for him throughout his yeah. his condition, and they had been married for 29 years. On his deathbed, Ferenz entrusted his children and soon-to-be widow to Georg Terzo, the future Palatine of Hungary, which is similar to a prime minister. A prime minister. So Terzo would be the one also leading the investigation into the alleged murders. Well, and the prime minister reported directly to the, to the sultan, I think. I have the king. Okay. So in her home with Ferenz, we're going to get into her legend now. Mm-hmm. Um, she was ruthless in the punishment of the servants. Uh, returning from battle, Ferenz found a naked girl tied to a pole covered in ants and flies, having previously been covered in honey to attract said insects. When asked about the punishment, Elizabeth said the girl was a thief who had stolen fruit from her room. And another form of torture was to place pieces of paper between the servant's toes and then set it on fire, just to watch the women faint from the pain. Though disturbing to friends, he did nothing to stop them. He considered them a result of his wife's boredom and the manifestation of the Batare mania. Mm-hmm. So the common practices of torture and punishment of the time, such as whipping and inserting a person's body in the rotting carcass of a dying animal, the Batare mania and the torturous means family members died probably all contributed to her bloodlust. She was apparently quite taken with the stories of Vlad Tepas, mm-hmm. Dracula. She, But she only took the pieces of information from the story that interested and fascinated her. And she may have taken that as inspiration to get into her endeavors. So her first interest in human blood occurred when a servant was combing her hair and accidentally pulled it. Elizabeth didn't react at the time, but later observed the servants all playing a game where they pretended to stick each other with a needle. Well, she got control of the needle and stuck the girl who had pulled her hair. Mm -hmm. And the girl just took this as punishment from the act of pulling her hair. But at seeing the blood, Elizabeth licked the wound and rubbed the blood on her cheeks. So the bloodlust soon consumed her and she became less interested in the estate's business. She became obsessed with magical and witchcraft practices, which was rumored, um, humored by her devoted servant, Dorvulia, a rumored witch. So Dorvulia would bring her potions, which would fuel her need for supernatural experiences and provide her with long-term ecstasy. Her appetite for torture and magical endeavors had a neurotic component as well. She's believed to have used the potions to help with her epileptic fits. Her torture sessions were moments of uncontrolled madness and expressions of her sadistic tendencies. And servants who failed to obey were subjected to her torture, which grew in its intensity. She resorted to many of the various contraptions, devices, and techniques of the time. The Iron Maiden, a cage in the shape of a woman with daggers inside that would pierce the flesh of the person inside, bringing a slow and painful death, um, death by water, where a person would be taken outside naked, poured with water, and left to freeze. And she also had a cage lined with sharp blades that would be lifted to the ceiling and subsequently ripped through the victim's flesh. So common practices also included branding, piercing, and severing body parts. While inflicting pain on her victims, Elizabeth experienced psychological and sexual gratification. And giving her 
Given her practice of bathing in blood, it's easy to see her comparison to vampires and their tendencies. Now, these tendencies were a combination of her madness and her fascination for the power of the blood that fueled her a large extent of the time. Well, I think what you have a lot too, because a lot's going on there with oh, yeah. what you just listed off. You have a person who's just has mania. Yeah. And I don't like using the term loose term mania because usually, you know, we're in this age now where we got to fucking put a tag on everything. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that drives me nuts to a certain extent because some people are just fucking broken. Yeah. This chick is broken. She is. She you know, came out of the box. She came out of the broken. box broken. Yeah. And I think even if you had, and, and the thing is, is this is where you have those instances where she really had everything positive around her. Yeah. And I mean, I just, I know I'm negating what I said earlier where she had all this bad influence, but she's in the most powerful group of the structure. Yeah. There was a lot of good around her, but she didn't want to focus on the good. No, and she was and, effectively ruling. And I mean, she could have just maintained that focus. And she, yeah, but I think this is where the madness yes. was creeping in. Yes. And when she was taking, again, this is why I was bringing up potions earlier, where yeah. she took these potions to the limit. She, she did. would go all the way through and 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 it was said by witnesses that she was it gave her it felt it gave her more power. Yes. And it gave her the power to conquer it. Yes. But this is something that is common with drug use where you think you're in control of the drug but the drug's the drug in, is control actually in control, of, control you. of you. And this is a case with her that I firmly believe this. Yes. I think the drugs basically opened Pandora's box on a broken person. It did. Yes. And a broken person can kind of navigate through and try to be good. Yes. You know, they know they have that dark side inside of them or they have that dark piece inside of them mm-hmm. that speaks to them. Yeah. And says things that, God, this this isn't really right. Or, yeah. you know, I like it, but I don't know why and all that type of stuff. Yeah. Where, where the drugs pull that veil off of not caring what people think and not caring, you know, and, and yeah. that's where you get like a story like down in Florida years ago where the guy was on bath salts eating a guy's face. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's how you get there. So her innate madness was exacerbated, as you said, by the potions and formulas given to her by her faithful servant. But Elizabeth was even more eager to experience the ghosts and visions she saw after drinking these potions. Mm-hmm. And in the agony provoked by the plants used in the concoctions, she would begin interpreting everything as a sign of her inevitable demise. And she demanded more potions, thinking they could help her avoid the imminent end. Mm -hmm. Even if her body was not initially accustomed to the intensity of the seizures provoked by the potions, in time, she grew to master the fits and actually experience them to a great length and eventually drawing strength from them. So Anna Dervulia, her faithful servant, was a Croatian woman who served in Sharvar and... She served the countess between 1601 and 1609. Historical sources indicate that she had previously been in the servants of the Nadushti family, and she knew the different uses of the plants and created concoctions with them and would give them to Elizabeth. Now, she herself was also known for her cruelty. Her means of torture included beating someone repeatedly up to 500 times until the person eventually died from the pain. And in 1601, uh, rumors began that Dervulia was running her own torture chamber and executioner's butcher shop within the walls of the Sharver Castle. Yeah. Both Farenz and his wife knew about it, 
and participated in some of the practices held there. So Darvulia advised the countess to choose only peasant girls as her victims since their parents would be easily appeased. But before getting to that, this is again where being cut off from the town and you're just doing your own shit with unchecked power Mm -hmm. comes into play. Because, I mean, they literally have a butcher shop for people inside the castle. That's... Take that, Sweeney Todd. It's not fucking normal. No. (laughs) So... She advised that she should only prey on peasants because the girls would be paid for and no parents well, and would no cares ask about, about them because they yeah. were told the girls had been taken into the countess's service. And if a parent did ask, they would either be lied to or told that the girls yeah. had died of a severe so illness. So this is where you get into the con scam of someone saying, hey, do you want your daughter to be in a better place? Yeah. Because you have people that are literally dirt farmers. Yeah. And, you know, would you like your daughter in a better place? We'll give her etiquette lessons and, yeah. you know, we'll give, we'll her, give her a better position. We'll know, give her a paid she'll position. She'll be able to read and yep. we'll give her a paid position and she'll make money and she won't have to live like you do. Right. Basically. Exactly. And the parents would be, okay, we want the best for our kids. And it's a goodbye moment. They're basically yeah. saying, you're never going to see your daughter again. Exactly. And that's how that scam started and they just started grabbing these these peasant girls they did and doing all these crazy whatever they wanted just basically whatever they wanted there was no rules but elizabeth was not satisfied with peasant girls so she also chose among the local nobility and this was her fatal error as nobles were typically more vocal in their complaints But they also had more resources to investigate what happened to their daughters. Yeah. So as more and more reports filed in about suspicious happenings at Cheta Castle and the disappearing girls, the local peasants turned to hiding their daughters from the countess. So rumors were spreading of her evil practices. And in 1610, King Matthias Corvinus II assigned Georg Dorso, the Hungarian palatine, to investigate. And he ordered notaries to start collecting evidence. And by the end of 1610, he had 300 signed testimonies made by local villagers, priests, noblemen, and even household staff of Sharver Castle. And Torso, who he assigned, was the one that had control of all the affairs in a state. That's the same person. Yeah. Yeah. So Just to keep things lined up. According to the testimonies, most of the victims were adolescent daughters of the local villagers lured there under the promise of work and serving the countess, which was a very well-paid position. The daughters of the noblemen killed had been sent there to learn the rules of etiquette, but kidnappings also occurred to procure her victims. So witness statements included severe beatings, the burning of flesh, limb mutations, biting of flesh, and death through freezing or starvation. There were claims that relatives of the Countess were also among the victims. Others claimed that the corpses showed signs of torture. And two witnesses, Benedict DeSeo and Jacob Silvashi, claimed to have seen the Countess torturing and assassinating young servants. They claimed the Countess killed young women all over her properties, including Chete, Sharver, Nemakaratstor, Bratislava, and Vienna. The exact number of girls killed, tortured, is unknown, but historians place it at 600 to 650. The murders took place uh, from 1585 to 1610, and most came from outside the castle, supplied by specific persons in charge of finding them 
and luring them to the Countess's properties. So the investigations were supported by recorded documents, which were essentially testimonies, and some provided by the Countess herself. So she kept a murder diary list, which is problematic. I mean, if you have the taste for murder, maybe don't incriminate yourself by detailing the who, when, and how in a convenient book. So... But this is where you're getting into madness. Yeah, and definitely. Like, this is where ruling an empire is not enough. Apparently this gets not. into this unchecked power bit, where this was what she was really into. Oh, All yeah. the other things were a distraction. Yes. Everything else was a this, distraction. She is all Everything about else this. was in the way. Yep. So I'm going to do all this stuff during the day, and I'm going to get to my little pet project at night. Exactly. And then the pet project starts taking over everything. It sure did. And it ruins all your stuff during the day that gave you everything you have in front of you. Correct. So her first entry was about a servant that she tortured for hours. It included her name and a description. Blonde. She was very, very small. The Countess also stopped a carriage and picked up a girl from the fields on her way to Sharver Castle. The girl's name was Jana. Her family was told she was chosen to be a servant to the Countess, but she was suspected to torture immediately in the carriage, and she died of the pain, which no one in the entourage expected. So eyewitnesses, it was a couple passing by, who told the story years later and helped look for the body, of which only a hand bone was found. The Countess took the girl out of the carriage, whipped her until some of her personnel stopped her, and she was superficially buried, never to be heard from again. The diary entry read as follows. Jana, nice, but rebellious. She had to be punished. So once her husband passed away, she really let herself explore this hobby. And she got sloppy. She started to leave more evidence of the murders. In Pishtian, one of the bodies was left buried close to the surface. And the soil was washed away in the spring rains. And it was actually her son-in-law's dog who found the body. But his master was too scared to tell his wife, the countess's daughter. So he chose to tell her son, Paul's tutor, who was already suspecting her as something vicious always seemed to happen whenever the countess visited the castle. So the tutor would be the one to confess the incident to Georg Terso. So while at the castle and Kerester, Several students on vacation had been asked by the castle guards to help them bury the bodies of more girls. The students were told the girls had died of a violent epidemic, but they couldn't help but notice the bodies had been severely mutilated. And another item against the countess was when she had killed several girls and decided to leave the castle and asked laundress Kata Benecci to take out the floors of the room and bury them there. But Kata was pressed for time, and she didn't do it, and the bodies were left under the bed to rot, and the smell filled the castle. So Kata said the smell was from the countess's pets that had died, though no one employed at the castle could recall said pets ever existing. So the bodies were then removed from under the bed and buried in a nearby field. Her final mistake was at Sharver Castle, where dead girls had been buried in one of the holes in the ground used for keeping grain. So when the bodies were discovered, those responsible claimed they had died of a contagious disease. So Kata, the laundress, was an indirect witness to the murders, as she was often in charge of cleaning up the crime scenes. She would clean the floors, remove the blood and bodies, 
and clean the Countess's uh, clothing following the events. She had daughters, and the Countess had threatened to find them and kill them if Kata were to tell anyone what she, the Countess, was doing. So the Countess knew about the investigations, and she made an attempt to try and deter them. And on August 19th of 1610, the Countess accompanied a widower of the Vashvar Sumbate court near Sharver Castle, whose daughter Susanna Ungvari had been in the service of the Countess, but died while in service. So she, the mother, stated that the signs on the body were due to the disease and not to the violent reasons that were being yeah, yeah. implied. And this was the Countess's attempt to produce evidence to absolve her from the accusations. And many wondered if she knew about the investigation, why didn't she just leave Hungary? Well, she tried, but she never fully followed through. Like she packed possessions, jewelry, valuables, mm-hmm. even moved furniture and transferred them to Kolkise Castle before the roads became impassable during the winter. But she forgot to accompany all that stuff. So she also needed proper approval from the king or she would for- forfeit her few, um, her fortune, her belongings would be confiscated and all of her heirs would be dishonored and pauperized. So given the immense evidence, Torso debated what should be done with her. And he spoke with her son, Paul, and a trial followed by execution would have been the natural course of action. And King Matthias would demand that she be sentenced to death to set an example. However, doing so would bring shame to the entire family. The Batares were still the ruling dynasty in Transylvania at the time. So Paul and Terso debated if they should send her to a nunnery and she'd be confined to house arrest as the best course of action. So her arrest was set up to avoid public scandal. Terso claimed in a letter to the king that he had caught her in the act, had to arrest her, and sentence her to life in prison on the spot. The letter referenced the accusations of her killing 300 girls, but made no reference to the torture methods used, as the torture would have required stronger intervention from the king which is precisely what Terso was trying to avoid. So the king reiterated that he wanted to have the countess brought to justice, but Terso was able to convince him that doing so would affect the entire nobility in the long run. So a trial began in January 1611 in, um, and I couldn't find the pronunciation for Biche, and it was presided over by the royal judge of the Supreme Court, Theodosius Sirmiensis de Sulzo and 20 associate judges. While the main issue of the trial concerned the deeds of the countess, she wasn't present. The trial focused on her accomplices. From January to May of 1611, 224 new testimonies were gathered from the communities of Costolanie, Calciste, Bekov, and Verbo, the majority of which strengthened the testimonies already presented. With um, Some went into details about the tactics implemented by the countess against the victims. And Tony Thorne accounted. Thus, Thomas Javorka, magistrate of Kaltzini, stated that the countess used to torture girls by thrusting hot iron bars into their genital area. And Michael Hervoth, the administrator of the Kalkitze Castle supported this accusation, adding the countess would whip the girls in the meantime. 
The priest of Verbo village, Nicholas Boroshev, claimed to have encountered the girl suffering from all sorts of injuries at the countess's properties and the castle, including the castle and the manor house. And the incidence of similar wombs manifesting only in young women was unsettling. See, that's where the internet has a weird story and weird take on this versus okay. like books that you read on. Yep. And, you know, there's basically you have this testimony of like 300 witnesses. Yep. And it's funny how, and again, this is just common with the internet. I hate to say it. Like the yeah. more and more we do with this stuff, I used to think it a lot earlier, but the more and more I do with this stuff now where I actually read books more and more on certain topics. Yeah. And I'm at a reverse point now. I, I, I don't think I was ever at that point where I put the internet first and then the books. Right. I've always just been a book reader. Yeah. And I like getting my information from a series of books mm -hmm. and then kind of going from there. But it seems like every single topic we do, the internet really kind of butchers a story. And they definitely have a different take. It's definitely a different take. Because yeah. like the internet, they'll sit there and say, yeah, no, these were accusations, but they also try to support. And I get it. They're trying to be across the board, even with things. But but stuff like this, it Sometimes just gets me. Sometimes you can't be across the board yeah. even with and like things. Some of Sometimes them, bad things just happen. But to this day, happen. like they say like there's rigorous debate in this historical examination of what you know, like she was the victim of a, a politically motivated conspiracy and things like that. They bring this stuff up and as a means to get over basically just the land that she had. So this yeah, was to take all, control. This was all set up. And I got to laugh at that because it's how the hell could this have been a setup? Yeah. If you have all these bodies in your castle. Exactly. You yes. have all this shit here because there's 300 witnesses and physical evidence that were brought up. Yes. And they also say that that very same 300 witnesses and physical evidence is disputed. And they're saying that it was exaggerated by the Thurzo, the prime minister there. Yeah. And, you know, saying he misrepresented the dead and wounded patients as victims and all that stuff. And basically disgracing her would have benefited his state ambitions. And they're saying that there was this whole power struggle. But... Here's the basic things that I drew from this, from reading the books and looking at the internet. Yeah. And you hit the nail on the, that's why I stopped you right there. Because yeah. you hit something really large there. Why women? Yes. You really got to ask that question. Even mm -hmm. if it's disease, yep. even if it's all this other stuff. Why? Why is it just, just women? women? And that's a very, that's where I just, I, I struggled reading this reading stuff on the internet. Right, with this. exactly. I really struggled on it because yeah. I'm even seeing it. And I'm just I'm just a dude that lives in New York. Exactly. You know, I'm and not I a mean, professor. I'm not a scholar. I'm not, you know, any of this stuff. And I openly admit that. And I hate to say it. At, at this point in time in my life, I'm proud that I'm not that because I don't have this crazy obstructed view of the story. And preconceived And I didn't let ideology. any kind yeah. of preconceived notions get in the way here. No. Because again, I'm a simplistic person and I wear that proudly. Yeah. Because my simplicity has gotten me through just about everything in a positive way. Right. And my simplistic notion says this, why were they just women? Yes. Why weren't exactly. they after the boys? Why weren't they after... And they, Men? I mean, men, if she was just in it for the blood loss, yeah. 
she would have killed anyone in anything. Yeah. Anything she and could I'm have not gotten put her a, hand on. I'm not going to put a psychologist hat on and say, no. well, you know, it's because her mother ignored her and, you know, like any of that type of stuff. I'm not getting into it. No. This chick was broken. She chose the young girls because, one, they were convenient. It was women oh, who yeah. served her and it was women who yeah. would attend to her quote unquote needs. So they just happened to be there. Oh, no. I mean, all right, I'll put my psychologist hat on. She chose women, and I'm going to say this as a full-fledged dude, because they were the weaker yes. piece of meat yep. that she could, the easy Less kill. Less likely to fight back. No, exactly. just the easy kill. Easy kill. And also, she knew exactly how to lure them in. Yeah. Yeah, she did. You know, she knew exactly what to say. What to do. What to do. Yep. What to offer the yep. family. What to offer everything. She knew exactly what she was doing with that. Yes. And and that's where some of them say, oh, she was a subject of Romania and all, all that stuff. And that stuff bothers the living crap out of me when I read it. Because how the hell did she manage all the books? How right. she manage all the collection of the taxes? How'd she yeah. keep that castle running? Yeah. If she was a crazy, crazy lunatic, that's why I she say- She wouldn't have been able to do those other things. And like the epilepsy yeah. and all that stuff. And that's where I say mania. Yeah. I really, I just, mania is the perfect- Tag mark. I hate to say yeah. it for I mean, this. She did. She have mania. had mania and manic tendencies. Yep. That eventually, through the use of drugs, she just dove headfirst into it and didn't care about anything else. And she no. started getting sloppy. Yes. And that's where she the did. bodies were yep. piling up and all that yep. stuff. And that's where I hate to go off rails like that, but you just brought up yeah. the key point. I think in this whole entire story. The whole entire narrative is why women. And if you walk backwards from that. Yes. That tells you everything you need to know. Exactly. Of what happened. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, it, there is no question what happened. So yeah. John Sluka, um, he was a member of the local gentry of Verbo, confessed to have been present at the moment of the countess's arrest. He claimed to have seen the body of a young woman loaded in a coach and claimed to have heard from the doctor who examined the body that she had marks of having been tied with a rope around her neck and several other mutilation marks on the rest of the body. Mm. And th what I just read were all direct. It was a direct quote. So there was an accusation of cannibalism as well, yeah. alleging that the countess made sausage out of the flesh of the dead girls. And the witness claimed this is what happened to the daughters of the local nobility. However, the parents of the alleged victims were not called to testify, which may indicate the accusation was unfounded. Mm -hmm. At the conclusion of the trial, 80 people were found guilty and accused of deliberately helping the countess with her murders. Three of these people, Darvulia, Joe, and Fico, were sentenced to death and executed immediately. Their executions contained the very practices the countess inflicted on her victims. The first two had their nails ripped from their fingers with hot tongs, while the latter, found less guilty, was beheaded, then burned at the stake, and to together with the other two. So following the trial, a red hanging place was built close to the castle to show the people that justice had been served. And in March 1611, King Matthias requested one more time to have the countess brought to the tabular court of Bratislava, but it didn't happen. As the Countess was the aunt of the Prince of Transylvania, a court case would put him in a delicate position. So the king, the king conceded to life in prison. The Countess was never brought to trial, but she was locked up in 
Kalkitse Castle in a narrow tower with no windows, with just a few holes in the walls to provide sufficient light and air to be able to survive. She was kept there for four years until her death in August of 1614. The exact date is unknown as she was found by a guard on the 24th in her room with several plates of uneaten food, indicating her death may have occurred much earlier. She was initially buried in the graveyard of Chete Castle, but under pressure from the villagers, her body was moved to a graveyard close to her place of birth in Etched in the family crypt. Yeah. And, and I think I think that's um you know, this is this classic deal of how well aristocrats got it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just I'm gonna point out the fucking obvious here. Yeah. You know, because all of that. Yep. And she basically she got to die at her own bed. Yep. With her family at yep. home. Yep. You know, house arrest. So and and that's uh that just gets me on this whole thing. Truly. I took my information from the book Countess Elizabeth Batare, The Life and Legacy of History's Most Prolific Serial Killer, and it's the Charles River Editors that put it together. And honestly, that book is the best source of information. Like, if I were to recommend somebody a single source of information yeah. on this uh, this topic, mm-hmm. that book's it. And the beauty of it is it's a light read. Yeah. It's a real light read. Yeah. I mean, you could probably finish it in a half an hour. Definitely hour in a day if, you don't, if, if you're you taking your time and if you're you don't going read back. a lot. And, yeah. um, it's a day book, but yep. if you're if you're someone who can, uh, if you plow through books pretty quick, it's a half hour, forty minute read. And what I liked about it was it was complete on all levels of it. Yeah, like they gave you a little bit of everything. Yeah, um, and it just it just really gets to me. It just shows how privilege. She mm-hmm. was yeah, in this whole situation here. She was. Because she should have been burned alive. Well, yeah. I'm going to say it for what it is, you know, and that's where uh, just it, it amazed me when I first heard about this story. I'm thinking that she was going to have this same ending as like the Vlads and, and all that. And just nope. 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 Just home house arrest. Yeah. Laid down, you know. I mean, if we're going to get down to it, justice was not served. I mean, people no. were punished, yeah. but not the direct party responsible. No, exactly. And that's where I had to laugh reading about this is all the people that got punished that were around it. Yeah. And at the end, she's just laying in bed Yep. in her in her fortress. Yep. Just chilling out. Mm-hmm. It's the, she got through this better than Scarface. You know, well, she also El, El didn't Chiquino. have her potions anymore, so yeah. well, it may not have been so pleasant. Yeah, but, you, <laughs> you know, and that's where I got to laugh is it just ends at that. Yeah. And you don't know what happened no. and the remainder of it, you know, no. and I don't know. It's a it's a crazy story, but it's one of I think it's the kind of core story that you could read out as the just absolute power corrupting a person through and through. Yes. This is what's wrong with unchecked power. Yes. It doesn't matter if you're a male. It doesn't matter if you're a female. No. It doesn't matter if you're a dog. It doesn't matter. Yeah. If you have nothing in your way holding you back, I hate to say it, but history has proven me right on this every single time. It's going to go bad. Yeah. Unchecked power and unchecked ability to do anything usually goes a bad way. 
Well, absolute you know. power corrupts absolutely. Well, yeah, and and there was no one in her life that could keep her back. Like you say this to me, is that something you really want to do? Is that in your best interest? You know, no, just even not yeah. even getting into that. Is that something you really want to do? And I say the same thing back to you. Yeah, that's where like, like when I was single, I remember I used to get into the whole thing where I don't need anybody, I don't need this, yeah. I don't need that, and then being in a really kind of strong, fruitful relationship with another person. Mm-hmm. There's that dynamic where you have that checked, you have those checks and balances. Yeah. There's things I look at and it'd be like, yeah, that'd be awesome to do that. But I'm like, yeah, but I, I, I just, I can't do that. You know, that's just. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, there's someone to call you on you your know. bullshit. Oh yeah. And it no. works both ways. And I mean, even the worst way, yeah. like I'd sit there, I'd be like, I would really like to just beat the hell out of that person. Mm-hmm. And if I was single, I would. Yeah. I'd beat the hell out of that person. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say it for what it is. But you come into my head and I'm like, no, I can't do that. I'll be in the news. Yeah. Everybody will talk things about Jen. Yeah. And she's too nice to get any, <laughs> you know, she doesn't deserve that bullshit in her life. And that's really where checks yeah. and balances come into play. Yeah. And it's things like that. And and I mean, we can laugh about that. But the fact is, is if you don't have someone like that, that yeah. presents that other path that you really don't want to go down. You know it's the right way. You know yeah. it's everything you need to do. But you really want to go this other way because this other way just, it justifies your feelings. It justifies your emotions. Yeah. It justifies your rage. It justifies why you're feeling this way. Well, hey, and, there's an awful lot of people who act on that. And they, no, they exactly. take that, well, I have right on my side or I'm justified oh, in this action but, and just leave a wake of devastation yeah, behind them. And, and what you see common with every single one of them is they don't have someone in there checking their, yes. their lines yeah. and saying, do you think that's in your best interest? Do you think, right. you know, you should be doing this? Or yeah. do you know that if you do this, it's going to create this? Yeah. And this is going to happen. Right. Do you want that to happen? Yeah. And that's uh, all these people that do these, they all have that common yes. denominator. Yep. Every single one of them. And it doesn't matter with the madness and all that other stuff. I mean, we were watching the Richard Ramirez thing. Who did he have? He had no Nobody. one. Nobody. No. So he was just doing whatever he wanted to do, unchecked power. Yeah. And that's a guy who's not from the nobility. No. Not from, you know, no. anything. That's exact opposite sides of the spectrum. Yep. Where you have two people that are just doing whatever left the to their own fuck devices. they want. They're left yep. to their own devices. Mm-hmm. And that's the weird balance with hum- humans and humanity. It's like we need the room to explore and grow. Yeah. But there is a boundary there. Yeah. And there's a boundary where your growth starts turning into an obsession. And yeah. and then that obsession turns into just flat out lunacy if it's not checked. Yeah. And you see that as well. You know, I mean, I could go on this f- for days, but it's even people with like plastic surgery. Yeah. And they get addicted to plastic surgery. They're, mm-hmm. they're just literally possessed by it. Yeah. And obsessed. Yeah. It's an obsession. Yep. And the thing is, is they don't have someone in their life that's saying, you know what? You don't need to do that. You are beautiful yeah. just the way you are. And in fact, if you do this, you're going to push me away. Yeah. And if that person was there to give them that that side of the negotiation or offer that negotiation right. and say, look, this cause is going to produce this effect. Do you really want that? And some obsessions are so powerful. They're like, yeah, no, fuck you. Yeah. They're I want the, to I want the, the new nose because I think the new nose is going to get me something better than you. 
and that's the case where the obsessions won. And yep. it's really, they're just going down that one, that hole. Mm-hmm. And that's the same thing I think with this is, but it's just what gets me with this story is how young she is. Mm-hmm. And just, you have this, it's a, as you mentioned earlier, a perfect storm where you have this person who's young, brought up in this just horrific environment. Yeah. Environment. And I'm just saying that as a, a fact of the times. Right. It was a brutal era. It was that end of that whole medieval period where yeah. it was just, oh, it was, again, like we were saying of the Darwis, Darwinist attitude of you either have what it takes or you don't. So you have to be raised rough. You have to yep. be raised tough. You have to be hard. You have to be really, really hard, shelled, and, and strong. Yep. Just, just physically and mentally strong. And if you have any weaknesses, they're going to be exploited. And that's the comfort we live in now. I mean, you could take the strongest, smartest, toughest person, but I tell you what, you throw them in the woods for 30 days straight with just a knife yeah. and say, exist out here, mm-hmm. and you're going to have, uh, it's like that Alone series right. on, on the History Channel. You got all them people thinking, oh, yeah, I took all the classes, I did all that stuff, and blah, I blah, do blah. All the things. I can do all this stuff. I'm going to win this show. And then they're dumped out in the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. and they know they're alone because they've flown out there in helicopter. Right. And they're dumped in the woods, and for the first time in their life, they're head-to-head with a bear. Yeah. And they realize, they realize it hits home. Yeah. That there's no hospital, there's no 911, there's nothing. nothing. I have to survive this now by either luck. Yeah. Or my wits. Yep. Or my strength. Mm-hmm. You know, and that tests a person. And that's the only thing that I think we have a comparison to. You want to know what life was like out there? Go live in the woods with just a knife for 30 days. Mm-hmm. And if you come out of that, then I think we have a glimpse of these people and what they were going through. Because it was yeah. just that fucking hard. <laughs> yeah. It was a very, very hard time. And I think um, that part I feel sorry for. I really do. Yeah. I feel sorry for well, it. And, and who I really felt sorry for was the common day person. Because she had everything. Yeah, she did. Everything. She had every advantage. And went down this road where you had someone else that just, and maybe the simplicity of having nothing. I often said that, you know, because I didn't really grow up. With a lot. I, I didn't yeah. grow up at all with a lot. Mm-hmm. But the funny part that, like, my dad and I joke about it is, is well, it was easy. You yeah. know, I mean, like we always joked around, there was nine of us when we all got together, the half siblings yeah. and all that stuff. And we used to joke, we're, we're an entire softball team. Yeah. So we could just go and play softball and, you know, we didn't care what any other group was. You know, we had our own team, you know. Right, yeah. Um, but the normal daily household stuff, I just look back, like there wasn't options. No. And sometimes that's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And this is where I get with the whole aristocrat part where you have too many options. Yeah. So many options to the point where you have someone like Elizabeth Bathory here who that this became an option and not only an option, but a fruitful option for yeah, her. Yeah, it was and, viable. And just viable for, you know, again, 20 years this went on. Yeah. That's what people have to understand. This wasn't like, you know, the Richard Ramirez story that was a summer. Yeah, It's exactly. all it was. It was a summer now imagine 20 years of Richard of Ramirez yeah. just to put this in perspective of the gravity and not only 20 years of Richard Ramirez, but a protected person, Richard Ramirez. Yes. Untouchable. Untouchable. Yep. You can't touch him. 
You can't even you can't even look at him. I mean, at the end of the you day, know. she wasn't touched. No, the king, the king wanted to get yeah. to her. And then but... imagine the feverant, just the feverant anger that fervent. or fervent. You know, just imagine how pissed off everyone would be if Richard Ramirez did that for twenty years, yeah, unchecked, yep. and then just got house arrest. Yeah, but yet people that uh, had him in hotels or housed him, yeah, either indirectly or directly all got punished to some degree. Right, yeah. And that's really what I wanted to bring up in this whole thing was just how times have changed. Yeah. From then until now. It's an amazing change. It's incredible change. Yes. And that was, I was trying to figure out a person that would be a comparison to now, relatively now, Mm -hmm. that we would kind of get. And honestly, all the stuff that she was doing, Richard Ramirez is really kind of the only person that, and I know he's trendy now, quote unquote, you know, yeah. like the shows and all that. But I would have brought him up anyways, because he just had no rules. No, he didn't. No he, rules at all. You just had to be there. You, Yeah, you had the unfortunate circumstance of being in the same room with him. Yeah. And your fate was determined. Yes. And that's a, uh, that's a thing with her where it just... It was beyond the reach of that. And mm-hmm. just think of that as a Richard Ramirez that had people bringing people to him. Yes. And and it's just, that to me is a, a, a pretty good correlation of something today, if that were to happen. People would lose their minds. Yeah. Like I said, if he just got house arrest, people would people be, would be demanding justice. They'd be burning shit down yeah. and, you know, going nuts. And I think that just shows how cool of a time that we're in. Yeah. Where people can have... People have a lot more power today than they don't realize. You know, they that, definitely that they, don't. They realize just don't it. realize the power they have. And don't I, realize how good you have it. Yeah. You don't realize actually how much and power it, you do have. And it can turn the other way. Yeah. It can turn the other way really, really quick. Yeah. Um, and I'm not trying to get on a rant about it, but I just we're so out of touch of this era. We're so out of touch of that yeah. type of environment. We, that we will just, never know what this we will was never like. know what the hell this was no. like from from the parents losing their kid to it. Because at first, you know, could you imagine the guilt all the parents had that let their daughters go this path? Like, I can't even imagine the guilt that they would and thinking you know, that thinking that they were going to be they were doing the best the they could. best thing possible, yeah. creating and, and, a better circumstance, yeah, and, a better and, life, and they just handed. Handed yeah. their girls over to all this. This pain just... And then to find out that they had been tortured and Mutilated and, and consumed yeah. and eaten and, yep. you know, just uh, just no respect at all no. to the body, the soul, no. the anything. None of it. And I, yeah, reading that, I would just sit there and, and just feel sorry. You know, like I just couldn't even imagine what, at that time where they had the trials and everything, just mm-hmm. the, the, what those parents felt. And let's just say it was 600 victims. Right. Which honestly, that's a number I believe. Uh, yeah. There's other yeah. numbers where we'll sit here and say, ah, you know, the math doesn't work, you know, yeah. and all that type of stuff. But she had the resources. If she had 80 people bringing her. Yeah, she had the resources. Yeah, she definitely had the resources. Yeah. And she and had. A, I would say it's at least 600. And she had a, a, a protected fortress. She did. You know, she had. And here's the thing she had so many properties yeah. that she didn't have to limit it to one area. No, exactly. Exactly. She would just go off and yeah. wherever she happened to be, hey. And bring then it me makes you. And it makes you wonder. And this is where I look at 
this is where I have a huge problem with the whole human trafficking and sex trafficking thing. And, you know, you'll bump into people that just sit there and they go, well, I hope that doesn't exist. It's like, it fucking exists. Yeah. Because we still have people just that have- Just because you shut your eyes to it doesn't mean it's not there. We still have people with this unchecked power. We do. That hasn't we changed. We definitely do. And I'm not talking about prime ministers- and no, 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 Kings and queens and stuff like that. I'm talking about people that just have a ton of money. Yep. And Epstein is the great story of our time. Yeah. Right now- where Epstein had all of these resources yep. and he had all these people around him protecting him. Yep. And a little each more and more comes out yep. of what he's doing. And we're going to hear that for the next like 10 years, the next 10 years, it's going to be that with Epstein. We're going to hear just this crazy, crazy stuff. It's not just Epstein. There's other ones out there. Oh yeah. And we do live in that era with it where they are taking people. They are. But what, is different with this is it's just uh it's a smaller area and it's a it's a more like people would think it's just like say uh it this just happened in New York State and the governor you know was doing something like that mm-hmm. it's a kind of the equivalent mm-hmm. you know as far as family family uh like a controlling body yeah and things like that but compare it to today's times and that's even a hard reach it's just times were so different then it Very really different. was. And I'm glad I'm not in it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I am. So what do we got cooked up next? We have Huska Castle. Yeah? What's Huska Castle for the ones that don't well, know? Well, you're going to have to find out. Oh, you're leaving it right at that. I am. Okay. I'm just going to say this. I saw this, mm-hmm. the Blood Countess, and I saw Huska Castle both in or on the History Channel during the month of October when they were doing all their, like, Halloween-related stuff. And they're like, hey, do you want to know about this horrible story? (laughs) And Huska Castle, essentially, their big draw is there's this fiery pit that they're saying it directly leads to hell. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. Maybe not. That was the thing I was looking at. Yeah, I know. Yeah. People I, I wasn't going to give you. Well, and people that just don't know anything about right. it. Right. Yeah. So we're, we'll do our The More You Know story next the week. The More You Know. Yeah. Yes. Well, everyone, thanks for listening. We uh, appreciate you being here. We sure do. Uh, if you have any suggestions or a story that you would like to share, um, if you'd like to share it on the podcast, let us know. If you would prefer to just share your story with another person just to get it off your back if yeah, you will yeah. feel free and they can send us an email to oth at seriously so we hope you have a great day we a great do. week again if you like what you hear rate review subscribe if you know of someone you think would be interested in this we really do kind of approach these things from the historical aspect we try not to get too current. Scary was what I was going well, for. Well, yeah, yeah, no, we 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 do have some horrific people and some horrific stories, but we're not doing the the slasher films. No, 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 no. So, what do you think? Enjoy your week. As always, make good choices. There it is. <laughs> Take care, everybody. <laughs>